Grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we are wrapping up our sermon series covering our uh, covering the aspects of our congregational guiding statement, which I hope that you can all say with me by this point. Try it out. Proclaiming and practicing God's love with courage and conviction in our households, our congregation, and beyond. Good job. You know, over the past few weeks, we've, been, we've tried to stress that, that Christ's love is the center of the statement because it's the center of all that we preach and teach here at Faith. Last week, we heard how God's love is practiced and proclaimed in the congregation, and the week before, in our households. Well, today, we will focus on what is beyond the household and the congregation. And to do that, we'll have our hearts and minds focused, as always, on the text of Holy Scripture. And today, on the events recorded for us in Mark chapter 9, which is the, the uh, transfiguration of our Lord. Our reading for, for today, our gospel reading for today, starts with a timestamp. We read, and after six days. Now, if you're just hearing uh, Mark's gospel for the first time or the, for the hundredth time, you should ask the question, well, what happened six days before? Well, the events that we read about today took place six days uh, uh, after Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ. Now, I suppose this could be described as a mountaintop experience for Peter. He actually got it right for once. He gave a, a right answer and, and gained a proverbial pat on the back from Jesus, his rabbi. Now see, Matthew's gospel gives us that perspective, but in, in Mark's gospel, Jesus strictly commands them not to tell anyone before he proceeds to tell them uh, what being the Christ entails. Namely, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. Now, Peter did not like this plain talk at all. He did not like what he was hearing, so he took it upon himself to rebuke Jesus. So whatever mountaintop experience that, that Peter may have been experiencing up to this point came crashing down into the valley as Jesus in turn rightly rebukes Peter and the voice of Satan riding on Peter's good intentions. Peter's rebuke of Jesus demonstrated just how far off the mark his, his good intentions were. It was six days after that episode that we find Jesus, along with Peter, James, and John, now literally going up a mountain. And on the mountain, Jesus is changed before them. He is the same Jesus, but, but he looks different. Even his clothes now become beaming white. To the shock and to the amazement of the three disciples, you have Moses and Elijah, they're talking there with Jesus. Even though shocked and amazed, Peter recognizes this to be a significant moment. This truly is a mountaintop experience, and he doesn't want it to end. He offers to set up three tents for the three of them so that they can all stay upon this mountaintop indefinitely. But see, that's not God's plan. A cloud envelops the mountaintop, 
and out of a cloud a voice proclaims, This is my beloved Son, listen to him. And just like that, Moses and Elijah were gone, and only Jesus stood before them. The mountaintop experience came to a sudden and dramatic end. Now verse 9 reads, And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And there it is, once again, death. Why is Jesus so fixed on death? And what did Jesus mean when he said, rising from the dead? As Peter, James, and John followed Jesus down the mountain, they were still not quite aware that they were following Jesus actually into the valley of the shadow of death. Now, if Peter would have his, his way, they would have remained on that mountaintop. But Peter could not because Jesus would not. Just six days prior, Jesus had spoken plainly about his passion. So now, after the transfiguration, Jesus speaks again of his passion as he walked the path to the cross. And Peter followed. But why this mountaintop experience? I mean, why were Moses and Elijah, these two important figures of Israel's distant past, what were they doing there with Jesus? Why, were they, why was Jesus changed and only Peter, James, and John permitted to see it? Well, if you recall, it was through Moses that God gave the law. And not just the Ten Commandments or the moral law as we know it, but also the ceremonial laws that dealt with cleansing and sacrifice and the civil law that dealt with justice. So through the law, in particular the moral law, all mankind becomes conscious of sin. We learn from the Ten Commandments what God demands of his creatures. And when looking at them and taking them to heart, we see that we don't meet these demands. We see that we are sinners who stand convicted and condemned. Now through the ceremonial law, the Israelites learned that through sacrifice, sin would be atoned for. And through ceremonial and ritualistic washings, the, the Israelites were taught to desire an eternal washing that can come only from God. And the civil law? Well, the Israelites expected God to execute righteous judgment for his people. So the law in all these types, were revealed by God through Moses. And so Moses' presence with Jesus on the mountaintop signified that the law's requirements, all of them, were met in Jesus. So the same with Elijah, the prophet who spoke God's words. He proclaimed God's anger over sin and God's mercy to forgive sinners. And his presence on the mountaintop signified that the words of the prophets met their fulfillment in Jesus. After the voice of the Father spoke, listen to him. It is Jesus alone who stands on the mountain. 
It is Jesus alone who fulfills the law. It is Jesus alone who fulfills all the prophecies. And who is this Jesus? Well, the dearly beloved Son of the Father, who reflects the glory of God, even in the appearance of his garments, now dazzling white. It is Jesus alone that you see who God is and experience what he is like. But God doesn't stay on the mountaintop. He descends into the valley. And not just from this Mount of Transfiguration, but from the heights of heavens above to earth below to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice for mankind's sin, including yours and mine. He is the one who speaks clearly the word of God. He is the one who stoops low to, to wash us clean of our sin. So Peter, James, and John, they were on that Mount of Transfiguration for one reason. God chose them to be witnesses of this. Christ Jesus chose them to proclaim what had happened there after he had suffered, died, and risen from the dead. Christ chose them to practice that same sacrificial love that he had first shown them in his life of service and on the cross. Christ chose to reveal himself to them after the resurrection so that they would be convinced that he had indeed been raised from the dead as he repeatedly had told them beforehand. Jesus chose to pour out the Holy Spirit upon them so that they had the courage to proclaim Christ crucified and risen on the day of Pentecost and on those days where they were arrested and put on trial before kings and others who were in authority. Christ Jesus chose them to be his apostles, living out their faith wherever they were called. But see, here's the thing. Not only them, but Christ Jesus has chosen you as well. Yes, you. He chose you in the waters of holy baptism to drown your sin and to raise you as a forgiven child of God. He chose you by the word and by his spirit to follow after him. Christ chose your family, your community, and your vocations to be the places that you would proclaim and practice his love. He gives you the same Holy Spirit that you may be convinced of his power over sin, over death, and over the devil. And he gives you courage in the face of all your fears and all your foes. Jesus has chosen you to follow him. And let's be honest, where he leads may not always be a mountaintop experience. And just as Peter did, so too will you mess it up from time to time or miss the point. You may even wish to stay in the shelter of your homes or of this congregation where we gather for worship, but, but look, these are not the only places that Christ has called you to proclaim and to practice God's love. It's beyond these walls. It's beyond the sanctuary. It's beyond the parking lot. 
when you leave this when you leave your house when you leave this house when you leave the parking lot you are entering in to the mission field your places of work the community at large from bloomington to beijing god is cho- choosing you to have an impact beyond this place so take courage Jesus is patient and compassionate. He has gone before you and he goes with you. Be convicted. The transfigured Christ is the risen and glorified Christ who now rules and reigns through his church and will come again to raise the dead and to vindicate the saints. Proclaim what wonderful things he has done for you, for all and practice the very love that Christ Jesus has first shown you. And may the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds as you proclaim and practice his love with courage and conviction in your households, in this congregation, and beyond these walls. Amen.